assurance. You can know that you're going to heaven. In this message, learn more about what it means to know you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Take your Bible and open to Romans chapter 8, the epistle of Romans chapter 8 in your Bible this morning. And we will be reading, as we always do, out of the King James Version, Romans chapter 8, and our text will be found in verses 12 and 13. Romans 8, 12 and 13. Romans chapter 8, uh, verse number 12 and 13. We have been in a series, uh, started on Easter Sunday, about the assurance of our salvation. Assurance of salvation is kind of a theological term that means this. How we can know for sure that when we die, we're going to heaven, and we don't live constantly doubting that. And we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on Easter Sunday morning, and this is, this is what we studied on Easter Sunday morning, that we have assurance of our salvation because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so that we might have life, the Bible says, Jesus said this, and life more abundantly. We know without a doubt that when we die, we can, we're going to heaven. If we've put our faith and trust in him, it's not a universal truth. Not Most people don't don't accept Christ. But if you've accepted Christ, your salvation is eternal because of the resurrection. And that's a wonderful, fantastic truth that the believers should hold on to. And then we looked last week in uh, our text of scripture, and was last week it was Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through verse number 11. And we saw that the Holy Spirit inside of us is a clear indication that we are saved. Ephesians chapter one, verse number 13 says that we are at the moment of salvation, that we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And we looked as well uh, last week that, that we're sealed, he lives in us, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter six, verses 19 uh, and 20, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not not your own. You're a bought with a price. Let me just tell you one of the greatest truths in the Christian life is this. You don't own yourself anymore if you're a believer. Jesus Christ owns you. You are bought with a price and because you are bought with a price, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And here's what the Bible says, which are God's. Your body's not yours anymore. You don't own it. You just kind of possess it. Your body, if you're a believer, your body and your spirit, which are God's. And we looked last week that the Holy Spirit inside of us is one of the greatest realities of our salvation. It confirms our salvation. Now, when we talk about what we call eternal security or saved forever, like John chapter 3, verse number 16, where the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look at somebody and say, everlasting life. Okay, you did that like people meeting in a corporate room for the first time, all right? Like you're part of the same church family. Look at somebody and say it loudly, everlasting life. Now that's the way service has to be done. No, 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 no. I have everlasting life. Can somebody say amen to that? I know it's 1030, but the louder crowd was 830. We've got to get that inverted. We're going to put five-hour energy in the coffee next week, just so you know. And the water. And in your children's candy in the, in the children's ministry. So uh, we're going to wake the whole family up next week. So we have everlasting life. But people struggle with the concept of everlasting life. And they often struggle in one of two ways. Here's one way that people struggle. They try to prove that they are saved. I'm going to do this and do this and do this and do this. And if I do enough stuff, it will give me peace that I am saved. They try to prove their own salvation. Another way that people deal with this is that they just kind of give up knowing that they can never keep up. They just give up knowing they can never keep up. When my wife and I were dating, I was much younger back then. And I was competitive back then. There's not a competitive bone left in my body. If you know me, you know that's a joke. Um, and I would, I would say to Debbie, I would say, hey, let's race. 
why did I want to race Debbie? I don't know. I had nothing better to do. So it's like, let's race. And she'd say, I'm not racing you. And I would get her on the line and I would try to teach her how to start. And if you ran track, you know, you start low and wide and you build up speed as you're standing up. And I would teach her all these things and I would do a three, two, one go and we would race and she would take like one step and I'd run about 20 meters and I'd stop. Where are you? She's like, oh, I gave up. And I was like, why did you give up? She would say, because I don't have a chance ever of beating you. And I would look at her and go, not with that kind of attitude. And she broke up with me. And life was great. But that's how a lot of people live their Christian life. I can't do it. So why even try? Well, some have quit trying because they just feel like they're not good enough. And many of these folks are truly saved And they have all the resources available to them for the Christian life at their hands. But in truth, they don't apply them to their life. They don't, we could say it this way. They don't realize the resources. They don't realize or they don't appropriate or we say it a little little bit more generically. They don't take on the resources. I read the story this week of a lady named Kathy Boone who died in January of 2020. Kathy, the girl pictured there on the screen, had been living on the streets for years and she struggled with drug abuse and mental illness. Her father, who is the, the man on the screen as well, Jack Spithill said, the tragedy was multiplied tenfold by the revelation that she died without collecting any of the inheritance from her mother's death, a sum that exceeded $900,000. She could have gotten all the help that she needed. She could have been off of the streets. She could have been living in maybe a facility that would have helped her come back to a place of normalcy or, or a place of independent living, whatever the case may be. But she never realized that $900,000 that was available to her. Court records say that after her mother died, estate representatives tried to contact her via the phone number they have, via the email they have. They spoke with family members. They sent direct messages to her Facebook account. They ran ads in the newspaper, and they even hired private investigators to try to find her, but to no avail. She had this great sum of money that was available to her, but it was never realized. She never was able to use it because no one could find her. We have so many resources available to us as believers. The Christian has living inside of him the Holy Spirit of God who reminds us of God's truth so that we could live righteously. He comforts and encourages us so that when we face the difficulties of our sin-cursed world, we can face them with grace and strength and work our way through them by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in John chapter 14, verse number 26, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace. Now think about this for a second. Jesus isn't just saying dude's peace. He's saying my peace. The peace that carried him silently to the cross. The peace that kept him silent in the face of the attacks of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, and Pilate and Herod. The peace that kept him silent under the beating of the cat of nine tails. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. Well, what does he mean there? He doesn't give it for a little while and take it back and give it and take it back. It's not something you're searching for. No, it's in us because it's a product of the Holy Spirit. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Pastor, have you seen what's going on in our world? Have you heard what they said? Did you see what they did? Do you see what's happening to the kids in the world? I, I get it. Yes. Let not your heart be troubled. He's talking to people who are about to watch their Savior be crucified. Neither let it be afraid.
what a great reality for believers to live by. Jesus gives us this peace. Well, because of the fall of man in Genesis 3, if you're like me, sometimes you enjoy that peace and sometimes you don't enjoy that peace, meaning you sometimes struggle with it. There's times when you're at peace and there's times when you're just totally, maybe we could say it this way, anxious, tense, discouraged, despondent, defeated. But Jesus promises this peace. And Paul helps us to understand it back in the book of Romans chapter 12. And he helps us to understand it in verse number 12 of Romans, uh, chapter eight, I should say, sorry, it said chapter 12 in chapter eight, where he says in verse number 12 of chapter eight, therefore, or because of everything that I've said in verses one to eight, therefore, brethren, now, we need to understand this. He's talking to believers here. He says, brethren, if you're here today and you're sure that if you died, heaven would be your home because you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone, Paul's talking through the Spirit to you. Therefore, brethren, that just means a spiritual sibling within the family of God. There's times when I'll talk to people and they'll come to Christ and I'll say, now I'm your brother. And some people are really excited about that. And some people are unsure of the eternal decision they just made. I'm your brother. You're my brother. You're my sister. That's why some churches, when you go, they call everybody brother or sister, like brother, brother Bernie or brother John or brother Sam or whoever it is. They refer to it as that. I, we don't do that here because I have a brother and he's saved and I never call him brother. It's just weird. Though I do that sometimes to irritate him, but he's my older brother. And so he, you know, tries to give me a wet willy or something. And so I, I withhold doing that. But brethren is just a spiritual sibling. He says, brethren... Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. I want you to notice, firstly, this morning, believers are in debt to the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. Believers are in debt to the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. God has called us, in verse number 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Don't live after your own desires. Don't live after your own desires. God has called us to not live after our own desires. And he uses this word, debtors. Brethren, believers, we are debtors. A debtor is someone who is under moral obligation for something. If I borrow $5,000 from you, I am morally obligated to pay that back to you. It is a moral obligation. If I borrow $5,000 from a bank, I am morally obligated. You say, well, well, legally I can wiggle my way out of it. You might be able to legally wiggle your way out of it, but you cannot morally wiggle your way out of it. You are morally obligated to pay your debts. You are... Morally obligated to pay your debts. If you're a believer, you're morally obligated to do that. It's a moral obligation. A couple years ago, about 10, 15 years ago, there was this movement in America, just let your house default, walk away from it, and go do something else. We even had believers in our church that just walked away from their homes. Oh, 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 we talked to them. Well, you have a moral obligation. You signed your name that you would pay this debt. And somebody said, well, I want a bigger house. And the one that I bought, if I keep it, I can't live there. Okay, you should have thought of that sooner. But you're morally obligated to this. Debts are a moral obligation to pay back. And so Paul is making a, a very clear statement here that we are morally obligated. Brethren, we are morally obligated. Know what he says? It's a, it's a cool way he says it. Not to the flesh. 
The flesh is our body, the physical aspect of a person distinct from our soul, often stood as the, understood as the, as the seat and sin of rebellion to God. The flesh is just this fleshly body that we inhabit. We, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. The word live means to live, to live in a certain manner or way. We, we are morally obligated to not live after the flesh in obedience to our own carnal desires. In other words, just because my body wants something doesn't mean I should do it. Just because my body desires something or my mind desires something doesn't mean I have to yield to it. I mean, that's the cry of our day, isn't it? Whatever you want, give in to it. The only way to cure a temptation is to yield to it. The dumbest advice in human history. You might want to overeat. You have to tell yourself no. You're not a debtor to that. You're not a debtor to indulge in porn. This is why I feel like I just, I just can't tell myself no. If you're saved, you can tell yourself no. To, to live under the control of your anger. Everybody knows I struggle with anger, so I just blow up and then I try to make it right. No, 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 no. You're not morally obligated to live that way. You're not a debtor to your flesh. You don't owe your flesh anything. You don't owe your flesh to uh, the, the freedom to sleep with whomever you want or whomever will let you. But, but come on, pastor, I'm a guy. I get it. And as a guy, you have a responsibility as a believer, because remember he's talking to believers here, to not live in debt to your flesh, to not live surrendered to your flesh. Your flesh does not control you, or it should not control you. And that's what he's saying. We've come so far in our culture and so yielded to the flesh that if one doesn't like their own gender, they can change their gender. And you're considered a hate monger if you ever tell anyone no. Like, do you think I should do this? No. Why? Because male and female created he them. God, the perfect creator of the universe, created you in a very specific way. And the best life you'll ever live is the life that he has for you in the gender that he has for you. But I don't want that, so I'll change my gender. No, no, I'm not in debt to my flesh. I'm in debt to the spirit, and I cannot do that. I'm telling myself no. I'm telling myself no. From advertisements to books being read, we hear the constant anthem. Don't tell yourself no. Why do we tell ourselves no? Because we're believers in Jesus Christ. And the flesh has only one end state, and that is death. Look at verse number 13. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. You'll die. To live after the flesh brings death. This is spoken in an absolute sense. There is no alternative. Now, the death might not be the cessation of existence, but what it means here is that the end state of your sin or yielding to your flesh is going to bring about a sense of and a reality of destruction and the cessation of the joy that you thought it would bring. The flesh has done nothing for you, nothing of real value for you, nothing, it brings no joy to you. Oh, it might be temporary, but it's at best temporary. Why? Well, look at verse number three of Romans eight. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and force and condemned sin in the flesh. Because 
the flesh is contaminated by sin. Verse number five. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. The flesh is carnally minded. Verse number six and verse number 13, it causes men to die. Verse number six, it's the opposite of life and peace. Uh, Verse number seven, it has a mind that is at enmity or the enemy of God. It cannot please God. You owe your flesh absolutely nothing. And your flesh can do nothing but cause misery and suffering. A man is foolish to focus his life upon such weak things as the flesh. And a fool to live as though he is in debt or obligated to crave and to cave into his flesh. Paul is being super clear in Romans about this. The instate of being yielded to the flesh is simply death. There is no holy living, no victorious Christian joy and peace when you live for the flesh. Turn your Bibles over one page, maybe, to Romans chapter 7, verse number 18. Look over in chapter 7, verse number 18. Paul says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but to how to perform that which is good I find not. Those carnal desires within yourself, there's nothing good about them. There's nothing profitable about them. There's nothing beneficial about them. Romans chapter 8, verse number 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Verse number seven, the carnal mind is enmity against God. Verse number 13, to live after the flesh, ye shall die. Galatians 5, 17, on the screen, just for the sake of time, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. The flesh hates the spirit and the spirit hates the flesh. They are contrary. They are in gross opposition to each other. Leave that up there for a second. So that you could not do the things that you would do if it weren't for the flesh or it weren't for the spirit. The flesh hates the spirit. The flesh desires to control. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you're not to live after your own desires. You're not obligated to them, but you are obligated to the spirit. For some context, look at verse number 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after after the flesh. It is the spirit who has done so much for man. It is the spirit of God to whom we are indebted. He is the spirit of life, verse number two. He is the spirit that freed us from sin and death. He fulfills righteousness in verse number four. He pulls our mind to spiritual things, verse number five. He gives us life and peace, verse number six. He dwells within us, moving us from flesh and and identifies us with Christ, verse number nine. He gives life to, to our spirit now and assures us that he will give to our mortal bodies eternal life in the day of redemption. Why would you live for the flesh? Why would I live for the flesh? Why would I live to appetize and appease my own desires? We're obligated to the spirit. There's people in the room even this morning that have come and and they have a a spirit of, 
uh, and I'm pumped that you're here, but you, ha- you came today with a spirit of, of religion this morning where you're like, I, I just keep messing up and messing up and messing up and messing up. So I'm going to go to church today and hopefully God will be okay with me and, and I'll just move forward in my life the way that I'm living it. I'll move forward in, in my life and hopefully God will be pleased with me for going to church. And so I, I, I've got this religious activity that I'll do from 1030 to uh, 11.45 to 12, and I'll do that, and God will be pleased. And that's religion that's still, listen to me, living by the flesh. Remember, he's talking to believers. You say, well, pastor, I'm a believer. I can't live by the flesh. I'm saved. No, remember, he's talking to believers, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, We are capable as followers of Jesus Christ, as saved, redeemed people of living for the flesh, of living for our own carnal desires and appetites. Believers are capable of of continuously responding in anger, frustration, despondency, irritation, And we say so often, I know that I'm saved. Why do I not, why do I, and we get this, we, we've all probably said this if you, if you know Christ. Why do I not feel saved? I don't know what feeling saved means, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Why do I not have this feeling about me? Probably because you're living after the flesh. And Paul helps us in verse number 13 to understand that believers determine their own fate. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Believers determine their own fate. You can choose death. Ye shall die is one Greek word, but it's broken down in two ways. Ye shall is, just means it's destined to take place. The, the circumstances are inevitable. Die means to die. Like, like if you eat, you go to Cheesecake Factory and you order steak Diane, and I know this because my best friend, that's all he orders every time he goes, and it's 2,300 calories. You say, how do you know? I looked it up. 2,300 calories. And then you get done with that and you eat three pieces of cheesecake, which are like 12 million calories each. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you're eating that. You choose to do that. You might not die, but you shall gain weight. It will happen. It's an expected end. You shall gain weight. Here's what it is. You shall die. It's destined to take place. So so there's some things in our life that we know will happen if we do them. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, is helping, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is helping us to understand that there are choices that we make that determine the outcome of where we are. You watch porn, it will affect you for the rest of your life and negatively affect your marriage. It will happen. Proverbs is very clear about that. Bible is very clear. Ephesians, Thessalonians, very clear about that. You use food as a comfort, you will suffer because you're living after the flesh and you get to choose it. Whatever decision that you make, you will, here's what he says, you live after the flesh, you shall die. The, the, the obedience to your own carnal desires. So if a man follows the flesh and chooses to live after the flesh or live surrendered to the flesh, then that person gets what the flesh gives. Let 
And so what James 1.15 says, that when lust hath conceived it, bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. See, because what Paul's not saying here, it, though I'm trying to make some application to help us understand what he's talking about. He is not saying here that there are these sins that lead to death and these ones that don't. No, no. He's saying if you live after the flesh, if you live to appease your own carnal desires and engage in a life of sin... And you do so, even though you're coming to church every once in a while, you're never going to have any assurance of salvation. Hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appease my own desires. I'm going out tonight. I'm going to get lit up. I'm going to go to the gas lamp. I'm going to go to a party. I'm going to go to a nightclub. And, and, but on Sunday, I'm going to church because everything's okay. Hey, you can do that, but you're living after the flesh, and you're never going to have any assurance of salvation. Because remember, he's talking to believers here. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. You're not going to live a life of peace. You're not going to live a life of contentment. If every time your husband or wife, just, just pick your spouse, if every time that your wife says something that, that doesn't float well with you and you get despondent or angry or ticked off and you make sure the whole world has to know about it and, and, and you, might not get, you might not yell and scream like this is how people think of anger is yelling and screaming, but anger in the home is often just getting quiet, going to a different room, closing the door, turning the lights off, grabbing your phone, watching something on your phone, ignoring your kids, ignoring your family because somebody said something that didn't make you happy. That's the flesh. Well, I want to make sure that they know that I was ticked off. Oh, they do. And the end state of that is death. I can't let them go through life thinking that that's okay. Well, that may be true, and you may need to have a conversation with them. But the end state of that anger turned outward is, is palpable and only brings about destruction. <laughs> I remember one time. Um, um, Debbie and I were sharing a meal with a family and a, this nice lady made the entree. I don't remember. We were here at church actually and uh, made the entree and I asked for salt. You say, why do you ask for salt? Well, because she was from Canada and, and I'm sorry. They learned to cook from the British and there's nothing good from England. And I wasn't being rude at all. I just said, hey, can I have a little salt? And, and man, when I salted it, that lady lost her mind. And she literally said, was it not good enough for you? Well, if you grow up in my family and you say that, we just have a wonderful Christian response to stuff like that. And my Christ-like response without thinking about it was this. No, it wasn't. She made sure that I knew that she was very unhappy that I would ever add salt to something that she made. Like to the point, and I'll just say it, I wasn't being wrong by asking for salt, but her response was, was just really unchristlike. She responded to something that was neutral with a spirit of gross insecurity. Flesh. If you live after the flesh, you'll die. Oh, I'm in my motel room and nobody knows what I'm watching on TV. So how can it hurt anybody? God knows and you know, and really at the end of the day, that's all that matters. 
My parents aren't home. Nobody will know. I, I don't have any roommates. Nobody will know what I'm doing. Oh, they'll eventually find out. The wickedness is eventually seen, and there's an end state of it, and the end state is death and destruction. And he's talking to believers. And you get to choose. You have the choice of death. I told the story last week, part of the story about me walking away from the Lord and for about a year and a half and, um, and then the Lord bringing me back and, and I told the story of, of leaving a nightclub in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, the big happening city of Coeur d'Alene and, and uh, on I-90 and as we took that turn from northwest to, to just due west on I-90 at Post Falls, Idaho, how that God spoke to me and said, either you get right or by September 1st, you're dead. And, and some, some people are like, I don't think God really meant that. Well, you weren't there and I was. But I will tell you this. People are like, oh, man. so you enjoyed your life for like a year and a half. No, it was the worst year and a half of my entire life. Number one, the sin that promised joy in life, we sang it earlier today, the sin that promised joy in life only led me to the grave. There was no joy and there was no life. There was a, a temporary pleasure in sin for a season, but it was extremely temporary and the end state of it was just death and destruction. Some of you could say amen because you know what I'm talking about. Like the end state of going my own way was anything other than joy filled, anything other than fun, anything other than pleasurable, anything other than exciting. And it's the same way for every believer. It was bondage. It was painful. It was difficult. And here to me was one of the greatest things, greatest struggles in my life. It robbed me of my eternal security. I went to bed every single night praying that I would wake up because I was fearful and I got saved as a 10-year-old kid, June 16th, 1983, Port Orchard, Washington, third row back of a wooden pew on the left side of the auditorium. I mean, I remember where I was, what I was wearing. I remember what my dad was wearing. I remember what the pastor was preaching. I remember it all. I, I, I knew that I prayed and I asked Christ to be my savior. But when I walked away from the Lord, I had zero security in my salvation. I mean, zero I memorized verses on security and salvation. I read chapters on security and salvation. I read books on security of salvation, but I had no security of salvation. Why? Because of the way that I was living. The end is death. I was dying. That's why if you're the terrible partner in your marriage, you're not finding any joy living for yourself because the end state of it is death. That's why if you live in a state of constant depression and you're not working to get freed from that by the power of the Spirit of God, mental health weekenders that we have coming up this weekend and other things, the end state of that is only death. We know that depression nine times out of 10, not every time, but probably eight to nine times out of 10 is anger turned inward. Undealt with anger turned inward. You're frustrated, you're angry, you turn it inward and you just live in that state. You live in that state. You're not living in the joy. You're not living in the freedom. You're not living in the forgiveness that God promises in his word. And it just becomes something that begins to eat away like a cancer and destroy you. And you become, not, not to other people, but to yourself, almost unlovable. Because you're living after the flesh. And if you live after the flesh, you'll die. Well, I've done this for a while and it hasn't been like that. Right? That's because the end state of everything Satan offers is death. He doesn't start it off that way. He doesn't advertise Hennessy with some dude on 4th and G passed out on the sidewalk that has messed himself all up and blood coming out of every orifice of his body. 
No, he makes you think that you're gonna be the life of the party at some nightclub with beautiful people and everybody's fit and the dancing's fun and sweat's flying everywhere and you're gonna be picked up by every chick or you're gonna be picked up from any dude that you want and he promises that, but, but he can't deliver. Why? Because all that Satan can do is bring death. One author said this, assurance that does not lead to a more holy walk is a false assurance. The person whose assurance is well-founded, who experiences true peace and joy, who is busy in the Lord's business and lives in a close relationship with him will lead a holy life. A believer cannot persist in high levels of assurance while he continues in low levels of holiness. A believer cannot persist in high levels of assurance while he continues in low levels of holiness. That's why you're viewing porn every night. You're never gonna feel comfortable in your salvation. And if you do, it's a false comfort. say, don't you have something to say? I do, I've got a lot to say, but I'm just giving you some time to think about it. That's why if you're angry all the time, you're gonna really struggle to have assurance. He's talking to believers here, folks. Remember he started it off, therefore brethren. And he wants us, the Holy Spirit does through the pen of Paul, wants us to have assurance of our salvation. But assurance of salvation, which is a gift from God to the believer, because if we had to keep our sin, we would all fail miserably. But assurance of salvation comes as we strive to live in holiness. We can choose death or the second part of verse number 13, or we can choose life. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. Through the spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, do mortify. The word mortify normally means to kill or to put to death, but here it's a figurative sense and it means to subdue evil desires, to become dead to anything, to be freed from its power. If you through the spirit are freed from the power of sin, this is what it means. If you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body or the specific behavior of the physical body, you shall live. You shall live. It's a word for life with sin subjected to it. And the tense here contains a habitual action. So do mortify is a present active tense. Meaning I'm mortifying, I'm putting to death the sin that is in my mind, the sin that is in my body. And when it comes up, By the power of the Spirit of God, through the grace of the Spirit of God, I'm putting it to death. And it comes in my mind through my body and I'm putting it to death and I'm putting it to death. And it's a constant, continual, regular action. And then when I do that, I will live in a constant, continual, habitual action. I put sin to death, I live in the joy of the Spirit. I put sin to death, I live in the peace of the Spirit. And sometimes I have to do it a hundred times a day. Not too long ago, I was struggling with a great private temptation. I asked a couple of friends to pray for me and it was just stupid. And I just, it was just dumb. But man, I was just, I don't know if you've ever been here, I'm sure you have, but I was just being attacked. Like it was just there, like it would not let me go. I began to pray, God, I'm I'm resisting this temptation. Would you please give me victory? I began to ask the Holy Spirit to give me victory. And it was still present. It was still very, very present in my life. It was still very, very 
active in my life. And I kept praying and I kept working and I kept praying. I, I, I got desperate. I began to fast for it. I needed this to be put to death. God, please. I, I, I was desperate. And one day through his glorious grace, the temptation was mortified. You say, well, aren't you glad that one's over? It's coming back. You say, how do you know it's coming back? Because that's how Satan works. It will come back. And so I have to mortify again and mortify again and mortify again. And there's some sins that easily beset each and every one of us. The book of Ephesians says there's a sin that does so easily beset you or readily attacks you. For me, it's anger and sexual temptation. It's that way for probably three quarters of men that I know. And that's, those are the big, it's not that way for everybody. Some of you are, are weird. You're like tempted by power and money. <laughs> or cars, or whatever the case may be. I don't know, but, but you're different, and that's, that's totally fine. It's, it, we all face our temptation, and, and, and we, we, we go through it, and we mortify and mortify and mortify and mortify and mortify and mortify. You're like, when are we done with this whole mortification thing? When do we get to end that? When we're with the Lord for all eternity. Life living, you shall live, that present active tense verb in verse number 13 at the end, comes as we yield to the Holy Spirit and his guidance for our life. You can't tell the Holy Spirit no and enjoy the benefits of the Holy Spirit. Well, I, here, I've heard this. I went to Bible college, so I heard this a lot. I know what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. I just don't know if I want to do it. If you don't do it, welcome to death. You can't live in the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean he's going to kill you. I don't mean that. He could, but that's normally not what it means. It just means you're not going to live in the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. That's why often... Some of the most grouchy people in all the, all the world are people that God one time called into full-time vocational ministry. They're just super ticked off at everything because they've been called to do something that they've told Jesus no to. You tell Jesus no, understand, you don't get the product of joy and peace. No, if you want joy and peace, you have to tell yourself no. No, no, hear what I said. You have to tell yourself no. No, I'm not hooking up anymore. No, I don't have a Tinder account anymore or any new app that's out there. No, I, I don't do that. My body is not my own, it's reserved. It's too special. I'm not cheap like that. I'm not a drive-through like that. There's more to me than that. These special parts are reserved, given by my creator for the benefit of my spouse. And I'm not surrendering that to some cheap dude who doesn't have the time of day or the character of life to care for me. I'm not a one-stop shopping center. I'm not a female Walmart. I'm not a big box store. I'm a bought and paid for child of the king. I don't have to eat that extra piece of cake. I don't have to indulge in pack number two of Doritos this week. I, I can put that soda down. I'm not drinking alcohol because this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, pastor, I think we could discuss that. We could, but you're going to lose because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And there's some things I'm just going to say no to. I'm not sitting on the couch and watching 42 hours of Netflix today, double time so I can get all 42 hours in. 
No, I'm bought and paid for. There's something inside me that's bigger than what you have if you don't know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I've got a life to live for. I've got a love to live for. I've got a Savior who loves me. I've got a spirit inside me. I've got something going on here that's bigger than what the rest of the world has going on. I'm a child of the King, so I don't mind telling myself no. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to cheapen myself by looking at some sexual object on a screen and jacking off to it. I don't, I don't do that. Why? Because I'm a child of the king, and he's got better things planned for me than the enemy who wants to destroy me. Well, I was made this way. Well, let's have that argument in a different place. You might have been made that way, but you're not saved that way. not watching that. I'm not reading that. I'm not listening to that. I'm mortifying that kind of entertainment. I don't talk that way. I'm mortifying that kind of speech. I won't respond to myself that way. I won't respond to that comment that made me feel insecure. I'm just going to let the Spirit of God take care of all that. I don't have to cuss anymore. Why? Because the Spirit of God's taking care of me. And I'm not going to do the things that lead to death. I've chosen life and life more abundantly. I don't have to sit around and be lazy in my house. I'm a blood-bought child of God. I'm redeeming the time because the days are evil. I'm just going to keep moving forward, and I'm choosing life. I'm not going to withhold my tithe from the Lord. It's his. And if he didn't ask for the tithe, I'd still give it. Why? Because I love him, and I want other people to hear about him. James chapter 1, verse number 12, the Bible says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. What endureth means to sustain, to bear up under. Word blessed is happy. Happy is the man that bears the temptation because when he has tried, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Just bear up under the temptation. It's harder, it's more than I can bear. Not if you're saved, it's not. Because the Spirit of God lives inside you. And he wants to give you victory. And by the way, he's given you a church family to help you through that. He's given you people that want to pray for you and encourage you and lift you up before the Lord and hold you accountable. But the problem with some folks, even in this room this morning, is the fact that you hide everything from everyone. And Satan loves a secret. He loves you hiding everything. Because if you're hiding everything, then nobody even knows. I've had people say to me for 30 years in ministry, hey, how come you didn't talk to so-and-so about such-and-such? Why would I? Well, they struggle with it. Oh, I, I didn't know. You didn't know? No, I didn't know. What do you mean you didn't know? I mean, they never told me. Did you know? Yeah. Did you confront them? Well, I thought that was your job. No, no, no. We're believers together. God's provided that for you. I want to keep going, but I can't, so let me give you some take-home truths, four of them. Write these down. Number one, live like Jesus says, you're not bound by sin. Number one, live like Jesus says, you're not bound by sin. You don't have to sin. Live like Jesus says. Romans chapter 6, 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. If you're saved, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Walk in the newness of life. You don't have to sin. Live like Jesus said. So, hey, babe, we're going to go out on Friday night. You want to come with us? We might go out and, and, and hook up. I don't live like that anymore. Why not? Because I live like Jesus said. Number two, invest in spiritual things. We talk all this stuff about investing finances and a lot of different things, and that's a wonderful thing, and we should. But understand, as a believer, I am to invest in spiritual things. 
Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall reap life everlasting. This does not mean if you do the things God says, you'll be saved. No, it's, it's I do the things God says, and I have the joy of everlasting living with Christ. And let us not be weary, verse number 9, in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. A lot packed into that verse, but just invest in spiritual things. That's why when we say be here on Sunday night, we're not saying that because you have nothing better to do, but this is the best thing that you could do. Why? Because you're going to go into a sin-cursed world that hates you and attacks you and maligns you. And we're going to come and we're going to pray and we're going to worship and we're going to hear the word preached. You say, well, I'll come if it's really beneficial to me. It's always beneficial to pray and worship and hear the preached word of God. And you don't know what you're going to face that week, but the Spirit of God knows what you're going to face that week. And you might hear one thing that prevents you from messing something up. You say, well, what if I don't? Well, then you are still benefited. Just invest in spiritual things. And it's an investment. I want immediate returns. Not if you're a good investor. I had some friends talk me into cryptocurrency. If you're laughing, you know why. Right before it crashed. Like, oh, you got to do this, man. You are going to make a killing. Well, let me say the word killing came into play, but they're not with us anymore. My friends that are. No, I'm teasing. Made an investment. Invest in spiritual things. Number three, meditate on things to mortify. Colossians 3, verse number 5. We looked at this a little bit on Sunday night last week. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, your physical body, Mortify these things, kill these things, talking to believers. Let these things die, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. That means a driving lust, a craving for the wrong thing. Pastor, I just, I'm so turned on by the same sex. Okay, mortify that. I'm so turned on by this woman that I work with. Mortify that. Pastor, if I take the tithe and I don't give to missions, then I can buy this new F-750 Ford electric pickup truck with 96 wheels on it. Go ahead and mortify that too. If we leave San Diego and we move to the middle of nowhere, we can get a 4,000 square foot house with a swimming pool and 12 camels and 26 dogs. And we don't know what to do with them, but wouldn't it be cool to have something that big? Okay, you've got a, a passion and a lust that might be inordinate. Mortify that. Evil concupiscence and, and aching for the wrong kinds of evil, a, a continuing to look. A, a, and he goes on, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse number six, for which sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Just med meditate on things to mortify. You probably won't have to meditate long to realize there's some things in your life that need to be taken care of. You, you probably don't have to like, oh man, I need counseling to figure out where I'm wrong. If you're honest, you, it's probably gonna be a pretty quick study. But meditate. God, I'm covetous, would you help me? Would you give me victory? We're not thinking from covetous perspective or meditating from a covetous perspective as though it's good. We're meditating from a perspective of we desire victory. And then finally this morning, meditate on things to live by. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12. Put on therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved. Vows of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. 
If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Put on love above everything else, which is the bond or the glue of perfection. We're given eternal life. There's nothing you can do to earn it and there's nothing you can do to lose it, but there's a ton of stuff you can do to enjoy it. And there's a ton of stuff you can do to be secure in it. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior, if you're not sure that you died, heaven would be your home. Can I tell you that if Jesus loves you and he died for you, matter of fact, God loved you so much, he sent Jesus from heaven to earth to die on the cross. This isn't the point of the message, but it is the reason that we're here. We want you to understand that you can have eternal life. You can have a relationship with God. If you'll understand God loves you and Jesus died for you, but you're a sinner and you walked away from God and you have to repent of your sin and ask Christ to save you. And if you will repent and ask Jesus to save you, he guarantees you eternal life guarantees you eternal life if you'll ask him to save you. And you can do that this morning by praying a prayer similar to this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me my sin and I ask you to come into my heart and to save me. If you're here and you don't know Christ, come to him today. If you're here today and you're a believer, Live by the Spirit. Live in obedience to the Spirit. Live surrendered to the Spirit of God. And live in the joy and peace that He promises. Father, bless our time in the Word. We're thankful today for it. I pray that you guide and direct us. Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.